As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 6. This is Writing Excuses, external conflicts for characters. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Amal. I'm Maurice. And we're going to talk about external conflict. This is the classic person versus nature conflict. What do I even mean by that? <laughs> well, uh, you know, asteroid coming at the Earth and things like that. These are, you know, these are all of the disaster films most of the time. I mean, these are disaster films fit neatly into this. Okay. Although I don't think that the external conflicts are limited to disasters, but... Uh, Joe versus Volcano, uh, Castaway. Leningrad versus the Ants. Or is that what his name? Well, it's, it sounds plausible. Yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was the first, my first encounter with this uh, idea was in high school where there's this short story. I've totally got the guy's name wrong, but he's trying to get cattle across a river. No, he's trying to stop an onslaught of like fire ants from uh. devouring his cattle. So he has to like, he builds a moat and then the, Ants keep coming across it on the like corpses of their brethren. It's very intense. And I've read that. I right? read that in high school or right? something. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was assigned reading for all of us. <laughs> uh, but that's an that's a great example of of this implacable force that um, it's not an antagonist necessarily most of the time. Although I think you can have an external conflict that is an antagonist. Well, how would you do that? <laughs> um, so the. So, okay, we, we, we just talked last week about uh, villain, antagonist, and obstruction. Most of the time when you're talking about uh, an external conflict, you're, you're thinking in terms of an obstruction, some, some kind of, of thing. But uh, really what we're talking about is anything that the, is not coming from within the character. It's not the okay. character sabotaging their, themselves in some way. Uh, it is something else getting in their path. So this can be, you know, the boss that fires you. This can be the the car that cuts you off. These are all people, so it doesn't necessarily have to be an implacable force of nature. Right. When when people talk about persons versus nature, that's usually what they talk about, but this topic is bigger than that. This is all external conflicts. Well, yeah, because when I hear nature, oddly enough, my brain goes to, oh, yeah, or a zombie apocalypse. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that. Absolutely, is a form of nature. <laughs> so, how are you going to write something like this and make it personal? Well, 
Oh, um, so one of my favorite parts about writing, I mean, I have two, my, my two go-tos, what I love about writing is world building and dialogue. Mm. <laughs> and so for me, uh, this is all a part of, of, of the world building. Um, and so when I'm, whenever I sit down to construct a world, one of the things I, I, I point out to my students is your world is, it should be designed to provide conflict to your characters. It, in, in a lot of ways, is its own character. And one of its jobs is to be an obstacle for your characters. I love that idea of the the environment being its own character. I, fe- I think that's a really, really good way to think about it. Um, I think of something like Jeff Andermere's <clears throat> Ambergris City, where it's like the city is a character and it's made up of all these moving parts and all these different factions. Um, but if you want to keep it in the, in the nature um, aspect and literally in a kind of... St- I guess not static environment, uh, but people are always going to have some connection to that environment. So I think the personal is going to be um, what is this person's connection to their environment? If they're in a city, what is their role in that city? Uh, how is that city stratified by by class, by location, by geography? Um, and once you find the character's place within that setting, then I mean, I think the antagonism of it becomes... Uh, like arises natu- naturally, as it were, uh, from uh-huh. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would agree, and I, th- I think that tied to that is uh, is threatening things that the the protagonist or the main character loves mm-hmm. or, or cares about. And it can be them themselves, uh, life and limb, or it can be you know, oh my puppy. <laughs> um, the just as a, a real world example to kind of show you the difference between oh this is a tragic thing and oh this matters deeply to to people, um, you know you're reading as we are recording this right now California is on fire, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that is terrible and and it's you, you can look at the pictures and you go oh this is terrible and this is awe inspiring it's not until you start reading the individual stories about the people who uh, didn't know that the fire was coming and got out of their house their house was already surrounded and they jumped into the swimming pool and stayed in their swimming pool for hours, coming up with just a cloth over the back of their head, uh, just trying to stay alive until it was safe to run down the street and in, in basically a sopping wet bathrobe. Oh, my God. And, and until you start hearing stories like that, it's not, it's not personal. Um, and, and that, I think, is, is one of the things that it, it's not enough for it just to be a terrible thing that is rolling over you. It has to be something that is affecting the character and, and inviting the reader to empathize with the character as they are experiencing this thing. Mm-hmm. So let's take this a slightly smaller route. We've talked a lot about the disaster sort of thing. Um, can you? How do you put your character in conflict with external conflicts in maybe a quote-unquote smaller story, uh, a, a story that's taking place in an office building or a school hmm. or something like this? Like what is the person versus nature, quote-unquote, of a story taking place in a high school? Hmm. Um, acne? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it is, although it is still your body, it is nature that is just wreaking havoc on every aspect of your life mm-hmm. if you're in high school. And uh, and again, it's it's about understanding the consequences of that that thing. Um if you don't care, then the fact that your face is breaking out is no big deal. It's just, oh okay, my face is breaking out. But in high school, you know, that affects uh frequently where you stand in social structure. 
Um, it affects your sense of self-esteem. And, and all of these things can, uh, can have an impact on you. you. You know, it's like, oh, doctor's appointments that you weren't planning on doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you can't go out into the sun because of the retin-A or retinol or whatever it is that you're on. There, there's all kinds of different ways that, uh, that, that some small-scale biological contaminant can do to you. I have, by the way, just discovered a science thing, which is horrifying. Oh, God. Which is apparently teenagers... And I can't remember the name of it, but teenagers carry a specific bacterium that is actually can spread to grown-ups. What? But this is this is why part of the reason that their skin breaks out so badly is not just what's going on inside the body, but because of this bacterium that grows on their skin. You mean teenagers? There's like a actual teenager disease. <laughs> oh there is an God. actual teenager disease. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And as and, if I need to be more scared of my children. <laughs> Yeah, if your skin starts breaking out when they hit their teenage years, uh, that is apparently why this happens to a lot of a lot of adults. How I have so many questions. <laughs> I, I, I mean, how, why? How is it? Does it? Where does it just? Is it just something that happens to everyone? All I know is that apparently this is a thing that happens. It, it happened. A friend of mine found out because her skin was breaking out, and her doctor told her this. And uh, my reaction was, "Well, what I need to know is that I just don't interact with teenagers now. <laughs> it's how I deal with that particular external conflict <laughs> is just avoidance." I was going to dive into uh, the idea of uh, broken elevators. Mm-hmm. Um, because in part, uh, I work at uh, Carleton University, where there is one tall building on campus, Dunton Tower. And uh, I realized at some point as I was coming into campus that it took me as long, 15 minutes, to get from the parking lot to Dunton Tower as it took to get from the bottom of Dunton Tower to the top of Dunton Tower, purely because the elevators are in such a dire state. You never know which of them is working, how many are working at a time. This is a 22-floor building with many, many people who need to get to their respective offices. So if you've you've got something set in an office and it's you versus the elevator, and this is literally autobiographical, I felt every single day, how much time do I need to budget in in order to not be late for my appointments on the 18th floor in this building? They're now modernizing the elevators, which is my happy ending to my story. But nevertheless, it's just... um, going to affect the way that you move, things that, that constrict your character, things that, uh, that, that prevent them from ex- doing the things that they want in their environment. Yeah, so these days I'm, I'm basically writing, uh, on the short story front, only two types of stories. So one is, is all these Afro-future type stories I've been writing, and the other set have been these stories just set in the same community. Um, as a, a, an inner-city neighborhood, um, there's some magical realism that, that's a, as a part of it, and and so part of it is so it's like that, so the nature involved here would be the community itself in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's you know the struggle of just the fact that hey this community is in the middle of a food desert. You know what does it look like to frankly just figure out where I'm going to eat that day mm-hmm. or, or how we're going to get food in. Um, part of it is you know there are forces beyond the, the the scope of the neighborhood like gentrification that the neighborhood has now you know been targeted for gentrification. You know this this big thing that's outside of everyone's control looming over the neighborhood, a day to day battle. But then internal, you know there are uh, there's like a, an ethos to the neighborhood, uh, and so in any world there's a, a worldview. What does it look like for an individual character to either be with that worldview or to be set against that worldview? And then what are the stories that pop out of that? Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? 
I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I want to dig into that in a minute, but let's go ahead and stop for a book of the week. We're going to talk about L is a Spaceship Melody. Oh, 
And that would be the other kinds of stories I've been writing. <laughs> um, I've been writing a, a series of uh, Afrofuture stories. And so Ella's a Spaceship Melody is a story is, uh, with Beneath Ceaseless Skies. It's a novelette. Um, and it's about, and the premise, just go with me on this, it's about a starship powered by jazz music. <laughs> what? Yes. Yay. Yeah. And so, That's so cool. And the idea hit me because I was just thinking about just what it means, to, what, what Afrofuturism is. And then I got struck by the whole, by Sun Ra and his mythology he created about himself, about being from Saturn and everything. And I was just like, this is so perfect. Uh-huh. Why isn't there a story set in his mythology? And so that's what Ella's A Spaceship Melody is about, is a, is a story set in Sun Ra's mythology. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. So cool. Yes. My head is literally exploding with the possibilities <laughs> right now. I can't wait to read that. I know. So, I, and this is totally a tangent. But I, I just the, the the new uh, one of the new NASA projects is called Osiris Rex, and in my head this is a T Rex that is cosplaying as Osiris, <laughs> and I desperately want this T Rex to go with Sun Ra and, <laughs> and have adventures together. <laughs> oh my god! So let's go ahead and <laughs> sorry if we are possible to turn this car around. Um, I think we're so your external conflict. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about putting briefly, I don't, this, this could be like a series of podcasts or something, but let's talk about putting a character in conflict with their society, as you were talking about, Maurice, mm-hmm. as an external conflict where the external conflict is society or other people's expectations of them. Have you done this? Tips and tricks? Yeah. Um, so the story that I mentioned uh, last episode, I think, Seasons of Glass and Iron, um, has uh, basically the, the premise is that you've got, uh, on the one hand, uh, a woman who, for reasons that we don't understand at first, is forced to walk in iron shoes for seven years. And uh, these iron shoes are magical as well. They enable her to interact with her environment, like she, to conquer her environment, basically. She can travel across uh, water. She can tr- walk across, like spaces between cliffs, so long as she's in pain. So long as the shoes are hurting her, then she can cross anything. Um, and eventually, uh, whereas the other character in it is on a glass hill, and she is um, safe from everyone and everything so long as she doesn't move. She has to just stay absolutely immobile on this hill. And while she's on the hill, she doesn't experience hunger, she doesn't experience uh, pain or discomfort, so long as she is perfectly, perfectly still. Um, both of these characters start out as being kind of aberrations in in their respective stories and environments. Uh, they're both in very unnatural situations, um, and uh, the uh, Amira, who's on the glass hill, is is on this hill that is literally surrounded by men who are trying to climb it. Because the, the fairy tale of the princess on the glass hill is that if you manage to ride your horse up the hill and claim the golden apple that uh, the princess is holding, then you get to marry her and inherit the kingdom and whatever. Um, so there are constantly uh, within her view these men who are trying unsuccessfully to ride horses up a glass hill breaking their horse's legs and their own, like, and hating her constantly and shouting horrible things at her. Um, So, like, they're basically both already in conflict. And the movement of the story is to bring this um, unstoppable force in Tabitha to this immovable object, Amira, and to see what happens when they interact. Uh, And the reason I came up with this story in the first place is because... um, I liked the idea of one person's curse being the means to another's. So the fact that she's got these iron shoes makes it easier for her to climb this glass hill. Um, 
and uh, and just those those bringing two conflicts to kind of mash them together um, and see what results is, I think, one way of of doing that. So uh, I have a, a book coming out in November called The Usual Suspects, and uh, it's a middle grade detective novel. So it's a bit of a, d- a departure for me. <laughs> um, and so, uh, are you familiar with that that trope of the that you know the the smart guy who can always diagnose everything that goes on, and, yeah. or the detective who can observe Sherlock. everything? Right. So I was like, what would that look like as a, a young black male? <gasps> um, and so we so we have this young black male. He's in in middle school. Um, but he's one of the usual suspects in that anytime anything goes wrong in the school, they just round up the usual suspects and go, all right, we assume one of you guys did it. So mm-hmm. figure out who it does. Someone's got to confess or we're just going to punish all of you, that sort of thing. Um, and so, so the story follows, follows my character, Thelonious. And so, yeah, so you have this greater conflict of I have to figure out, you know, due to this inciting event, you know, I have to figure out who, who did this. So uh, you have that at one level. At another level, though, especially being that, that smart, smartest kid in the room sort of thing, he's at war with everyone. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> he's, you know, he's at, you know, the school system itself, you know, the school is there to, it's designed to conform mm-hmm. and, to, to, and to, to imprint conformity on you. He's at war with that because he's like, I, I just, I do not fit any of your molds. Mm-hmm. Um, he's at war with his peers because, well, one, he's smarter than them. And he's a bit arrogant about that. But at the same time, there's a, an ethos of, of school children that he's like, I don't really fit into that model either. Hmm. Um, and then he's at war in his, in his neighborhood. And he's, uh, and then with his own family expectations of, you know what? You do have a responsibility to, you know, go to school mm-hmm. <laughs> and do the thing. You have to do the thing. Right. Um, and so, it, uh, so for me, it's, it's always about one, having that one greater series of conflict, the overarching conflict. And then those series of conflicts just keep tying into it, uh, both uh, ra- ra- around him, but all of them still tying back to that greater conflict. Right. I think I think one of the things, this ties into something that I do, um, which uh, I, I articulate in this way, that I, I look for the, um, the, the, the places that society tries to slot my character, the mm-hmm. external labels that society places on them, and the cracks between those and, and how they identify themselves are the are some of the places that this external conflict can uh, can really start to fracture things for my character? Huh. So I find that uh, people tend to define themselves um, by uh, their role, which is kind of based on what their duties are. You know, like uh, I'm a podcaster, I'm a I'm a writer, I'm a, a teacher, I'm a puppeteer. Those those are role things. Yeah. Then there's the relationships that I have. That I'm I'm a friend, I'm a wife, I'm. Uh, a mentor, and a mentor is different than a teacher. A teacher is a job. A mentor is a relationship. Ooh, I like that distinction. Um, and then there's your status, where you stand in the hierarchy, and then there's your competence, mm-hmm. what what it is that you can do, what you have abilities at. And so there are the things that you, your character, has that they, they identify as. But then there's also the uh, when you're you're asking for what are the societal external conflicts. The ways that we label people. So, you know, with Maurice's character, who is labeled as the usual suspect, mm-hmm. that is, uh, that is, you know, the status that he has been placed in, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of social hierarchy, which is in conflict uh, 
mm-hmm. with the the relationship that he has with his peers and so i think that if you if you look at that those that a lot of times the they demonstrate uh, or reveal kind of natural stress points mm-hmm. that you can exploit uh to to find how things begin to to come apart and break uh when when they have multiple things that they are trying to accomplish awesome uh, like I said, I think we could probably do maybe an, an entire, entire season <laughs> on uh, going against your society. But we're going to have to end here, and I'm going to give us some homework. And this homework kind of traces back to one time uh, Mary was on the podcast early. One of your early appearances, you talked about this yes, but, no, and method of plotting, which is where you start with a person having a problem, you ask if they solve it, you answer it yes, but you add something on top of them, and if you answer it no, you add something else on top of them. I always had just heard this called break things. <laughs> and so I'm going to go back to the more simple version of the homework, which is you have a character, start their day, and have things start breaking. Everything around them breaks. It can be literal. The coffee <laughs> pot can just, you know, the coffee machine doesn't work. It can be figurative. <laughs> Stuff goes wrong, and you don't fix any of it. <laughs> it's um, a lot of times in the stories, it's you, problem comes up, we fix that. Problem comes up, we fix that. Problem comes up, we fix that. In this story, you're not going to do that. You're going to have things just constantly keep breaking until the end, however you decide to end it. I have had that day. (laughs) So say we all. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.